Thank you, choir. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It's a passage I'll be preaching from this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I'll read verses 3 through 11. Really going to focus on verses 3 through 5 for the sermon. So let's give our hearts to the reading of God's holy word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant brothers of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. The word of the Lord. Let me now pray and ask that the Lord who authored these words will speak to our hearts afresh this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the reality that, that you do give comfort to your people. And Father, in the midst of all that's going on in our hearts and lives this morning, uh, Father, we all need to be reminded of, of who you are and what you're doing and your great love for us. So I pray, Lord Jesus, would you speak to our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you, could do, you can do? Would you be our teacher? Well, Father, you know that I can't affect anyone's heart, but you can through your word. So I ask that you would do that this morning. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I chose our passage today really from the events that have been going on uh, in my own heart, my own life, and home, and uh, ministry, and in our community, uh, which include some tough stuff over the last week or so. Tragedies, hard things, difficult things. Uh, and the reality is those things lead to confusion, especially for us as Christians. We have to deal with the reality of how do hard, bad things happen when God is good and all-powerful. And that's really what's been on my heart as I prepared and studied for our passage and uh, the sermon this morning. In all of our lives, no one is exempt or immune from the pain which this world can allow. No one. If you've been around this church long, you've, you've probably heard the, the expression, we live in a fallen world, right? And a fallen world is the reality that, that sin exists and life is not as it's supposed to be. And someday Jesus will return and make all things right. We long for that day. But until then, there is the reality that the world is, is fallen. Yes, Jesus is on his throne. Yes, there is redemption. But it's not perfect yet. I think we would all agree with that. 
Uh, when I do premarital counseling, uh, the, the first thing that I do is this little exercise called the seven cardinal laws of marriage. And number one is, it's a fallen world. So set your expectations accordingly. Uh, even this past week, uh, I had to use skim milk on my cereal because we were out of 2%. And I said, this is a fallen world. Uh, and I was quickly reminded, no, that is not, that is not a fallen world. That is a fallen mark. Um, but, it, you know, we can laugh at this, but the reality is that there are things going on in our hearts and our lives and our friendships that aren't funny, that are hard. And we have to ask, God, we know that you're good. Your word describes that. We know that you're powerful. Your word describes that. And yet, we see things that, that you have allowed to happen. How do we make sense of that? And that's what I want our passage to teach us this morning. I want us to see that as God's people, we are not to be passive in our struggles. We're not to be passive in our suffering. Rather, we are to see that God is at work doing something in us and in our lives and in our church in the midst of all of those struggles. We have to embrace that even though we wish life was perfect, it is not yet. So the question for us this morning, how do we biblically understand the pain that God allows in our world and in our lives? How does the Bible answer that question? And you need to know that this is a loaded question. It's full, and I certainly won't provide all the answers. And our passage doesn't provide all the answers. But it's important for us to wrestle with this topic. It's important for our faith to realize that there is a good, loving God who is all-powerful, who is doing things even though it doesn't seem like it at time. Because if we don't biblically understand that, Every one of us will be prone to come up with our own metrics of figuring out the world. We'll go from either a bad theology or bad practice or bad coping mechanisms or maybe turn away from the Lord altogether or be indifferent toward him. And that's not what the Lord has for us. So again, in our passage, I want us to highlight Paul's words here to us as he wrote to the Corinthians. You need to know. The Corinthians were evil people. They were messed up people. And Paul was their shepherd, and he had this ongoing correspondence with them. And as he shepherded them, he understood the pain that they were going through. And I want us to see from these first couple of verses. First, I want us to see that we are to remember the God who loves us. And secondly, remember the people who surround us. In our confusion of bringing this together... We have to remember who God is, and we have to remember who each other are in the midst of this. So first, whatever circumstance you're facing this morning, let me encourage you, remember the God who loves you. Look back at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. A danger that we all face when we're going through a hard time or even sometimes a good time, is that we can turn God into whoever we want him to be. In our sinful nature, we can reimagine God and make him into something that he is not. We all are prone to do that. And we have to go back to Scripture and see how Scripture reveals God to be. And that's exactly what Paul has done for us to begin this letter to the Corinthians. It begs the question, who is the God this morning that we serve? 
Who is the God that we're learning about? What's he like? What's his nature? What are his characteristics? I want us to see here these two phrases and dig into them. God has chosen in his sovereignty to reveal himself as both the father of mercy and the one who gives comfort. Again, it's significant for us to know that Paul understood specifically what these Corinthians were going through. He knew their pain, he knew their addictions, he knew their faults, he knew their sexual immorality. He knew all of that about them. And he tells them, your God is the father of mercies and the God of comfort. Let's think about both of these titles briefly. First, the father of mercy. It's a glorious title. But what's it actually mean? The point of the father of mercy is that we see that this is not just a description of God, but this is the action of God. It's the action of a loving father who is righteous, perfect, and holy, and the fact that he pursues people. You see, to be someone who can give mercy means that we are the ones who are seeking to give that mercy away. And that's exactly what God has been doing for all of eternity. Your God is one who pursues people who do not deserve mercy. You see, to be the giver of mercy reveals that the recipients are in need of it. That's who we are this morning. We are people who do not receive, uh, do not deserve mercy, but receive it. That's what it is. The Father of mercy, He's the one who is actively seeking out those who are not seeking Him. In my study this week, this continually stood out to me that God is the one who has gone out of His way, who has extended Himself with great effort. That his heart is one that will stop at nothing to convince us that he is for us and he is not against us. We are those who deserve his wrath, but he doesn't give it in Christ. He gives us mercy. Your God this morning is passionately active for you. This summer I fell in love with a song that that you may be familiar with, but I was not uh, It's sung by a man named Corey Asbury. It's called The Reckless Love of God. I I think it's popular. It just wasn't popular to me until the summer. But if you're familiar with the words, Asbury sings this. He says, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights till I'm found. It leaves the 99. When I was your foe, you fought for me. And when I felt no worth, you paid it all for me. That's who our God is. That's who our Father is. The one who will go after people who will not come after him. Who will chase us down and fight till we're found. That's how much he loves us. If you know anything about the Apostle Paul who wrote these letters, the reckless love of God could summarize his testimony. He was a murderer. He was a persecutor. And Jesus pursued him. And he could now write these words because he was a recipient of God's mercy because God came after him in love and grace. This is our God. But also with this Father of mercy, we can't leave this out. If you look back at verse 3, God isn't merciful in a general sense. God is merciful in a very specific sense. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
See, Paul would not dare mention mercy without including the person of Jesus. Jesus is the one by which this mercy flows to us. Again, it's not just an attribute of God. It was an action of God in the person of Christ. You see, we receive God's mercy because Jesus did not. When Jesus went on the cross for us, he was not given mercy. So now God, the Father of mercy, his mercy flows to us through Jesus. If you're visiting with us this morning, you need to know this is what we are about. This is our declaration. This is our hope that Jesus Christ did not receive mercy. Therefore, he extends it to all. This is how loved you are by God. But again, in verse 3, the introduction is not complete. For the confused soul trying to make sense out of hard things in life that need to be reminded of who God is. He's more than just the father of mercy. Paul also includes, he is, quote, the God of comfort. The God of comfort. That is the God who chases us down. The God who chases down the undeserving will not abandon them once he has them. No, he provides comfort for us that is ongoing. I don't know about you, but when I think about comfort, I just think about being lazy and doing whatever I want. That's actually not comfort, that's selfish. The biblical definition of comfort is a little bit different. Here's what comfort means. Comfort means that God comes alongside of you. To be comforted by God means that God does not abandon you, that he doesn't leave you, that in the midst of what seems like tragedy, God is with you the entire time. To be comforted by God means he will not leave you, he will not forsake you, he will not leave you alone. The ruler of heaven and earth draws near to you at all times. If you read through the rest of this passage in chapter 1, You see the words of Paul when he was in Asia, that he was so utterly burdened that he thought he had been given over to a sentence of death. He was desperate, but God did not leave him. You know, whatever your struggle is this morning, the one promise that I can give you as a minister of Jesus Christ is that he will not leave you. He is with you. This is your God. He loves you, he's passionate for you, he has pursued you, and he gives you his Holy Spirit, and he will never abandon you. That's your promise. You know, my question for you this morning, in the midst of confusion, in your heart, do you really believe that this is who God is? Do you believe the God of the Bible, that he passionately loves you, loves you so much that he will not leave you? This is who he reveals himself to be. Do you believe that? In your confusion of life, do you believe God desperately wants you? That's his promise, and that's our prayer this morning. But secondly, in the midst of confusion, not only do we remember the God who loves us, his desperate pursuit of us, but we also must remember the people who are surrounding us. Look back at verses 4 and 5. Let me just say that this is a great mystery, but we need to hear this. It is important for us. Look back at verse 4. The God who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able 
to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Here's what Paul is doing here. He is saying that the God who gave comfort to him, now he is an instrument of that comfort to other people. In verse 5, it's very, very clear. All people who are Christians will suffer. But what we have to believe about God is that he cannot be God and rule over the world, yet not be able to prevent us from going through struggles, and yet he clearly allows it. So let that mystery land on you. God could prevent things, and he does not. And he is still on his throne, and he is good, and he is sovereign, and he is loving. Again, this is a mystery. The afflictions of Christ mentioned here. The sufferings of Christ. What are those? It could be any number of things. It certainly could be persecution. Paul felt that. Many of you have felt that. Those who hate Christ will hate you. It could be suffering. It could be physical illness. Because the world is broken. We do have tragedies that occur. But verse 5 makes it very, very clear. Everyone who knows Christ, everyone who belongs to Christ, if Christ is in you, if you claim Christ, you will share in his affliction because he was afflicted. If he was and you're in him, then we will be as well. Jesus was hated. He was slandered. He was mistreated. He was lied to. He was lied about. Those things are going to happen to us because we're followers of him. So everyone this morning who claims Jesus and shares in the life of Jesus you will have some level of affliction in your life. Again, the real issue I want us to accept this morning is does that fact fit into your personal theology? If it doesn't, if you believe in some form of prosperity gospel, you're really going to be confused in life. And you're going to turn God into something other than the God of the Bible. In your heart, in your mind, your concept of being a Christian, does it include the afflictions of Jesus? Again, see this morning, God lovingly, sovereignly allows us to go through things that we would prefer he did not. But see the key to the whole passage. It's in the middle of verse 4. The comfort that is the nearness which we receive from God, that's what we now give and receive to all of those people around us. That's our mission as Christians. That's what we do. We are receivers and we are givers of this comfort. Paul is simply making the case here that it was good for the Corinthians that he had gone through the suffering because now he could minister to them in such a way that otherwise he was not able to do so. He was now ideally positioned to be an instrument of God to all of those people that God places him around for the rest of his life. Do you see the hope here? You don't go through affliction for no reason. Yes, God's growing your faith, but God is also positioning you to be used. All of us, as we wait for Jesus' return, are desperately dependent on each other. Yes, on the Lord, but the Lord has designed it to where we are dependent upon one another as well. You see, as a community of God, inside the house of God, we are interwoven. That's how God has designed it. 
Every one of us must be in a place of community to where people know us, know our story, know what's going on, and we know them. Otherwise, the flow of God's comfort will be limited. The word comfort literally means to make strong together. That's what we do. That's what we do inside the life of the church. Three years ago, I could give a million illustrations here. But I'm going to choose this one because it was about this time of year. Three years ago, my oldest daughter, Macy, who's here, uh, left for college. She went to UK, not that far down the road. However, there was something that happened inside of my heart when my oldest child left home that I was not prepared for. It was just simply an anxiety that I had never experienced before. No one really prepared me for how hard it was going to be. Even though she was just down Tates Creek Road, it didn't matter. It was hard. When Macy went for college, those first couple of weeks, I had all kind of crazy fears, crazy anxieties, crazy just thoughts of, have I prepared her enough? Have I prayed enough? Have I done enough? What's going to happen? Who knows what kind of crazy professor she's going to have? All these kind of things just started landing on me. And I didn't realize it, but I was a nervous wreck. Robert said for two weeks, I got nothing done around the office at all. He was probably right. But during that week, I had coffee with uh, my, my buddy, Stephen Gordon. Many of you all know Stephen. He's a member of the church. Uh, we get together from time to time to talk life, marriage, that sort of thing. I was supposed to be the pastor that day at Panera. But at some point during our conversation, he just simply said, man, how are you doing? And I don't know what happened with that question, but how I was doing all came out. And I was not doing well. And for that time, I just came unglued. And I just shared with him, well, man, this is what's going on. I'm nervous, I'm scared, I don't know why. And what Stephen did is he listened, and in Panera, he simply prayed for me. You know what? Nothing changed in my circumstances whatsoever. I was still a dad, still going through all of that, but my heart was completely different. Because now I was given hope. Because the fears inside of me came out into a brother. The words of God came into me from a brother, and I was a different man. Do you see how the process works? God gives comfort to his people. His people give God's comfort to each other. We live in community with each other. We're designed that way. Nate Jones taught me this years and years ago. Years ago. He said, most situations are helped when you combine the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God. You put them together and most situations are going to be okay. The word, the spirit, and the people. And he's right. Also years ago, <laughs> all my stories are old this morning. Um, between our first and second uh, children being born, Lisa went through a very, very dark season. A time of infertility and multiple miscarriages. And many of you all have been in those, that, that situation. You know, those, those are dark days. And for Lisa, those were very, very, very dark, filled with uh, despair, and we simply were in a place where we had to cry out to the Lord and ask the Lord to take care of us and provide for us and, and just trust and wait Him and, and deal with that. There was no cure for just the reality of hurt. We struggled, and there was doubt, there was disappointment, there was discouragement. 
And Lisa and I waited and trusted, and some days we did it better than others days. But you know the result of that, some 15 years later, it seems like that there's not a season that goes by, that there's not a, a woman or two who Lisa is meeting with, talking to, encouraging, of who, who's dealing with similar, similar hurts. I assure you, Lisa would be more than happy to have never had this ministry. She'd be glad to never have that. Lisa's not a counselor. You know what qualified her for this ministry? She suffered. That was it. She's available to be used, but her only qualification is that she had felt the hardness of providence of God. One of my seminary professors summed this up so well. He said that to suffer passes, but to have suffered never passes. You see, the God who loves you passionately is the same God who will use you strategically. His grace can flow from one person to another, and lives will be changed and he will be glorified. We often talk about how uh, we've been blessed by God in order to be a blessing. And that's absolutely true, financially or whatever way. God blesses us and that blessing pours out. But the other side of that equation is true as well. We've been afflicted so that we can be a blessing. Let me ask you this morning. Are you being selfish with your sufferings? If Paul had been selfish about his story, it would not have been beneficial for the Corinthians. He was willing to open up and be honest about what he had gone through, about what the Lord had allowed in his heart, about the circumstances of his life. And he was inside a group of people where he was willing to be open and honest about that for their good. For their good. If you want to create an image that you have no struggles, no sufferings, no affliction, you need to know that is not a biblical Christian. Don't stand in the way of the grace of God. As we participate in the lives of others, of giving and receiving God's comfort, something incredible happens inside of our soul. Again, look back at the rest of the verse, or passage rather. Back at verses 9 and 10. Let me read verse 10. Notice the past tense and the present tense. He, God, delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. What had happened? Inside of Paul's heart, because of the comfort of God, how he had been delivered by this Father of mercy, he knew in the future he could trust God again. And it was good for the Corinthians to know that story. As we grow in God's grace, it is good for everyone else. It is good for us to be assured of who God is. Your affliction this morning does not disqualify you from ministry. It is your ministry. As many of us prepare this evening to go into our parish groups, I cannot end this sermon without a quick mention of verse 11. If you have your Bible still open, look there. And to see the power that exists when you live inside of community with each other. And I hope, frankly, that this is the heartbeat of Teats Creek Presbyterian Church. Verse 11. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Paul is saying, you all have got to keep praying for me. You Corinthians, 
you idolatrous, sexually immoral, broken people who are coming to Christ and having your lives changed by Christ, I'm dependent upon your prayers. And I can give testimony to the reality that, that your prayers have changed my life and are changing other people's lives. Again, as you gather in groups tonight, as you gather throughout this week, do not underestimate the power of your prayers for the people of God. Don't underestimate that. And do not underestimate the power of other people's prayer for you. He is alive. He is active. Will you let people know what's going on so that you can be prayed for? And will you be a person who will pray for your brothers and sisters? Are you confused this morning about hardships in life? About things that just don't make sense? about how God can be good and how God can be loving and at the same time there's tragedy amongst us. If you're not confused, I don't believe you. If you are, remember the God who passionately loves you and remember the people who surround you. We live together. And now as we come to the table, as he ministers to us with his body and his blood, let's prepare our hearts for this time. Let's pray. Father, we do pray this morning that, that you would meet us where we are. Oh, Father, I pray for everyone here this morning. I pray for those who don't know you, who wonder what on earth is this story even about. I pray, Jesus, that you would show them this morning of your great love for people. Oh, Father, remind our hearts of the sin that we love, that we don't deserve to be here, but because of your mercy, you have hunted us down and you have converted our hearts and you have given us a love for you. Oh, Father, I pray that Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church would be a place that passionately loves each other, demonstrated by our prayer for one another. Would you do that, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen.